Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right, good morning, Sojourn, and welcome to our third week of uh, Advent. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we have been in the second half of uh, our minute series in the Gospel of Luke. Um, We've been looking at Jesus' announcement and uh, his uh, coming, and that Mary's conceiving him through Mary's eyes. And so go ahead and grab your Bibles or open the app on your phone, whichever you have, to Luke. Can you guys hear the feedback I'm hearing? Is it because the speaker's behind me? To uh, Luke 1, 46 through 55. Luke 1, 46 through 55. Uh, The first week, we looked at the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus coming and the announcement of Mary's pregnancy. And so we kind of entered the story where all these Old Testament prophets had pointed to Jesus coming. We saw this all these years of silence, and then the angel Gabriel showed up on the scene to say, this is now coming to fruition. And the announcement came to the virgin, Mary, that this is how Jesus, the Savior of the world, was going to come. The second week, we looked at receiving Jesus through the faith and submission of Mary. That although she was troubled, she was confused, she wasn't sure what was happening, she submitted her life and her will and her way to God's way. And God's way was was for Jesus to come through Mary. This week, what we're going to do is look at the response of Mary. All that she has heard, all that the angel has told to her. Up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, even though we focused on Mary a good bit, she actually has only had about two lines. It's been mostly her listening to the angel proclaiming to her what is going to take place and what's going to happen. And what we're going to see this morning, it's almost like Luke doesn't want to, it's almost like he's holding back so that when Mary does finally speak, that she goes at all lengths, she, she hits with a punch. And that's what we're going to see her do this morning. And so what we're about to look at It is one of the longest and most powerful speeches made by anyone in the Gospels besides Jesus himself. And so that song we just sang, it says, get up and praise the Lord. Essentially what we're going to see Mary do. Now, we don't know she may have been laid prostrate on the floor or she may have been bowing down, but she got up and praised the Lord. That's what she does as a response. And that's the posture of her heart. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to get into this third message. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you week in and week out for this message. But during this time of year, we we set aside these weeks and we celebrate and remember your first coming. And God, at your first coming, it's through that that then you go to the cross and that you make a way for salvation for mankind. And so God, in this season, we celebrate that. God, may we look this morning at the response of Mary as a response of praise, and God, may we see that as an example of our own lives. When we're not sure, when we're confused, we don't understand it all, but God, that we would submit our lives and our wills and our ways to you, and that we would stand up and praise you. God, that's to be the posture of our hearts. In your name, amen. Now, this is called Mary's Song of Praise. It's probably what it says in your Bible. Mine says, the Mary's Song of Praise, the Magnificent. It's a title derived from... Uh, a Latin word, which means to magnify. And so Mary's song, 
prior to this, we didn't cover these verses, but I want us to look real quickly at her um, relative Elizabeth and where she confesses that Jesus is Lord, actually in verses 39 through 45. So look back just a few verses before that. I'm just going to read this. I didn't want to make this two messages, so I'm going to reference it, and then we're going to get into Mary's song. It says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, in a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So how did Elizabeth know that Jesus is Lord, I mean, the baby, Jesus, is in Mary. So how does, how does Elizabeth know this? The Apostle Paul tells us that no one can truly know Jesus unless the Spirit gives him the ability. And so what we see here is the Holy Spirit gives Elizabeth the ability, even before Jesus has been born, to, to know that this is the Christ and that she believes. Now, after this confession, this proclamation by Elizabeth to Mary, now Mary responds by singing her song of praise. It's a song that's filled with hope and rich truth about God. So let me read the song in its entirety, starting in verse 46 through 55. And I don't think this has anything to do with the song, Mary, did you know? It just doesn't seem quite in line with that song that we hear this time of year. But verse 46 says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, here's what he says about this uh, portion of scripture. He says, it's the gospel before the gospel, a fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 weeks before Bethlehem, 30 years before Calvary and Easter. It goes with a swing and a clap and a stamp. It's all about God and it's all about revolution. And it's all because of Jesus. Jesus, who's only just been conceived, not yet born, but who has made Mary giddy with excitement and hope and triumph. In many cultures today, it's the women who really know how to celebrate, to sing and dance with their bodies and voices, saying things far deeper than words. That's how Mary's song comes across here. Mary sees where she stands in the grand scheme of God's promises. 
from Abraham all the way back in Genesis onward. She sees her place. She sees where she stands. She's now seeing the puzzle come together and how she fits into that puzzle. And she's recognizing this is an extraordinary place for me to be. And that now all generations as a result will call her blessed. But rather than focusing on herself like some traditions do, Mary pours herself out in praise to God. Instead of saying, look at me and I'm special and I must have done all these things right. She goes, no, I'm humble. I'm a servant of God, but look at the one why he chose me. I don't know, but let's give him all praise and honor and glory. So number one this morning, I want us to see that Mary rejoices in the Lord. I'm gonna look back at verses 46 through 48 as we kind of break this down. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Now this isn't even my manuscript, but think about that for a moment. This is the baby that's inside of her that she's talking about. Jesus has not been born yet and she's already recognizing this is my God, my savior. And so as a result of of being the carrier of Jesus, her soul is full of magnitude for the Lord. I'm not sure that we can fathom that. I don't know that we see that often in the posture of our own hearts. I'll speak for myself, but even in the church at large, that our soul magnifies God in such a way. I mean, the example we've looked at Mary is her trust. It's just incredible to me. I think about my, my generation, right? We put all these things, well, God, you gotta do this, and God, you gotta show me this, and God, you gotta open this door, and God, you gotta do this. And Mary said, here I am, Lord. Let me be your servant. And so we see this the Magnificent carries echoes of the content from Psalm 103, verse one. You can just jot that down, but it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And so Mary's spirit rejoices in God. Her entire being is caught up into praise. She's worshiping with all that she has, with her mind, with her soul, with her heart, and with her strength. The only example I can think of this that I have seen recently, and it still isn't quite there, is Argentinians watching the World Cup as their team wins. And this was in my manuscript before I got here this morning. Okay, I was afraid to share that with my wife last night. But if you watch any of my videos, or I can show you afterwards, Right There is just this magnificent celebration and pride for their country and for their team. I'm pretty sure if you cut them, they blue, they, they, they bleed blue and, and white. But they're just caught up in it with their whole being. Right, I've watched when, when, when it looks like they might lose, like it paralyzes them. Right, And when it looks like they're going to win or when they win, like it's the opposite. And so I think, man, that is a picture. I mean, I was in there this morning myself. I was waving this flag. Now, I grew up Baptist, and I was like, man, like, there's a reason like Pentecostalism like growing worldwide. Like, look at how these people celebrate a soccer match. But they're caught up in it. Mary pours out her soul. She pours out her spirit, and she rejoices that this is the Savior of the world. So what would make you celebrate that way? What would make you celebrate from the depths of your being without inhibitation? Maybe no debt. Does it be cancer-free? Does it have the, a better marriage, better job? What is it that you would need in your life to go, God, I'm going to worship you with all that I have, with all of my being? See, Mary's worship is personal. And she specifically rejoices in God as her Savior. 
See, Mary's not free from sin. Mary's in need of a savior. So she's already recognizing him as her savior. Once again, that's what an example. That's just, she's the one who's gonna birth this baby and care for this baby. But she's recognizing that this is my savior. But it's not only her savior, it's the savior for the world. She, she, she was reminiscent of her place in verse 48. She says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. She remembers again, I'm, I'm a low income girl from a podunk village. I have no status in society and life. But she's astonished. But because of this message, because of this baby, because of this savior, from now on, all generations will call me blessed and favored and chosen because of this important role. And that has come to fruition because here we are all these years later. I was like, man, how blessed is Mary? Now, when it says for in verse 48, just the word for, F-O-R, it, it indicates that Mary is about to present the grounds or foundation of her praise. And I've, I've got just four, four things kind of with underneath this verse. First one's gonna be the longest. It says that he has looked. She's recalling Hannah's hymn, which we had been read at the beginning from 1 Samuel, verses 2, 1 through 10. Because like Mary's relative Elizabeth, Hannah was also chronically infertile. She couldn't have any babies. But if you know the story, if you don't, you can go back and read it later. Hannah praised God for a child, and he gave her a son who became the prophet Samuel. And so Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving for Samuel's birth begins like Mary's. I'm gonna not read that whole entire section again, but 1 Samuel 2 verse one, she says, my heart exalts in the Lord. And like Mary, Hannah goes on to praise the God of great reversals. 1 Samuel 2 verses four and five, she says, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out of bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The Lord raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes. But even more significant than that, and I want you guys to catch this, Hannah's speech, it ends with a direct prophecy about the Christ, God's promised king. Verse 10 of 1 Samuel 2, it says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And then Hannah concludes, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now this word translated, his anointed, is the first time in the Hebrew scripture, Hebrew scripture uses the word for which we get our word, Messiah, in a direct prophecy about God's king. This is where we get our English word, Christ, and it's derived from the Greek word, Greek form of this word. And so Hannah's prophecy, it reaches fulfillment when her son Samuel, who, who anointed Israel's two, first two kings, Saul and David, but the ultimate fulfillment that we see of Hannah's prophecy is Jesus himself. Rebecca McLaughlin, she said, Hannah is the first to prophesy directly about the Lord's anointed king. Mary is the first to find out his identity. Looking at Jesus through the eyes of Hannah and Mary, we see the one who turns the tables on all human power. The one who lifts the humble and humbles the mighty. 
the one who's the savior of his people, showing mercy even as he shows his strength. So first we see that the Lord has looked on Mary. Second, we see the, the humble estate. In Luke 1, it says, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. This is a reminder for us that God often uses those who are not great in the world's eyes to work his great purposes on earth. So regardless of your background, regardless how you feel, regardless where you came from, don't feel like God hasn't seen you. Don't feel like God hasn't looked on you because God often uses those who are not great in the world's eyes to do his great and mighty purposes. So for all you know, where you live, where you work, where you play, God is using you and using you for his purposes, even if you feel like you're being, you're being looked over. Third, we see that all generations, Luke 1, 42 says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So why did Mary rejoice in the Lord? Because God, her savior, God, her savior looked on her with favor on the humble condition that she was in. And this is what God is like, right? God is close to the broken and to the lowly. We see that. So if you're feeling broken and lowly, know that God is close to you. Number two this morning, Mary recognizes that she is blessed. Look at verses 48, second half of 48 and 49. It says, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Generations have called her blessed. I assume Mary is no longer wondering or confused or troubled what it means that she has found favor with God. If you remember last week, she kind of goes, man, what? I'm troubled by this saying. Well, I don't think she's confused by that anymore. But to be clear, and she's already just shown us this, people have not called her blessed for anything that she has done. They call her blessed because the mighty one, God, has done great things for her and his name is holy. It's because of God. Because of God is why that she is blessed. And so Mary continues throughout this song of praise to recognize the mighty hand of God and it's he alone who has done great things for her. And she says, holy is his name. That reminds me of the start of the Lord's Prayer. That holy is his name. You know, I don't know what your habits are and uh, if, you, if you have a, what we call a quiet time or how you start your morning, but I just encourage you. I, I try, I've tried to posture myself in recent months to start, start with the Lord's Prayer. God, you are holy. Recognize who God is. It helps you recognize who you are as you start every single day. But you see, the point here is God. The point is not Mary. There's no hint of Mary worship here. This is where the, the, the Catholic Church errs significantly when they exalt Mary. That's not what this is about. They elevate her to this kind of almost this co-ruler with God, almost like a co-savior. But we need to look at Mary. Let's follow Mary's example and what does Mary do? She exalts God and him alone for what he has done, including for choosing her for such a special task and role as this. And so the, the, the emphasis here is on what God has done because of his righteousness, because of his mercy, because of his holiness, and that we focus on God and him alone. We echo the same thing this time of year as Christians, as, as God's church, that, that this idea of Christmas, it's not good advice, but the good news of what God has done. 
So at this time here, we were able to point and say, look, God came. Yeah, we get caught up in the presence and the celebration and we have some of those fun things, but look, it's not good advice. I talked with somebody yesterday. I understand church hurt is a real thing. And I understand depending on your tribe and tradition and how those things happen. And, and sometimes it is a cult. And, but I, I was interacting with this couple. I just met them and um, they said they couldn't find community. And I said, well, you may not like my profession, but I help people find community. And then I told them what I do. And they kind of smiled and said, we both went to Bible college, but uh, we no longer are part of church and, and, and have anything. But so that's good for you that you found that. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know they've got the knowledge, but I'm going, this isn't good advice. This is good news. And you need to hear the good news. And if it's good news for you, it's good news for the whole, it's good news for the whole world. It's not just you get to choose and not choose like this. We need this message. This is why we are called to go and proclaim this message to the world around us. And so we see that Mary recognizes she is blessed. This brings me to number three. Mary shows that God's mercy is for all. Let's look at verses 50 through 53. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their end of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So we see here that the, the hymn moves from Mary to what her, her son Jesus' birth means for the believing Israelites. It says those who fear him, there's this, this reverent, humble obedience that of those who seek to please God. It says that he has shown strength with his arm. That he has scattered and has brought. But it doesn't stop with believing Israelites. It starts there. But this is where the really good news comes in. That God has provided a way through his son. That his mercy is for all generations. It says from generation to generation. So yes, it started with the Israelites, but it didn't stop there. If you consider yourself a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, because all the way back here, it's saying that this message of salvation is for generation from generation. And guess what? It doesn't stop with our generation. I know in our culture, in our society, and in, in, in the United States, the Christianity is seemingly shrieking. The church is seemingly shrieking. But globally, it's exploding. Globally, it's, it's the fastest movement we're seeing. Places like Iran, amongst women, and places like China, Places like India, it's exploding in these areas where historically, where you see other religions. And so be encouraged. This message is from generation to generation. It doesn't stop with believing Israelites. And that we no longer seek a sign because we've been given the sign and the son himself. The sign was Jesus coming. The sign was Jesus' life. The sign was Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so we have seen the fulfillment of this message and that we are now to go proclaim this message. See, the signs are all around us. It says in verse 51, God scatters the proud. Verse 52, God topples the mighty. Verse 53, God sends the rich away empty. But then we also see he exalts the lowly, the projects in the hoods. He fills the hungry. And so if we know, if, if we would know the riches of God's mercy, we simply need to admit the poverty of our lives, that we are in need of this message. And that is for us and for all generations, that we have been given this gift. You know, we think about gifts a lot at Christmas time. We've been given this gift. You know, Mary was chosen for a special task. And then Jesus was actually conceived and she gave birth to, to, to Jesus. 
But we have a, a similar role, different but similar, that we've been given this message now of Jesus, of his entire life, and that we are to go and to proclaim this, that we are to give a song of praise, that we are to get up and praise the Lord, but also get out and proclaim this message to all generations. And then number four, we see Mary's confidence that God fulfills his plans and keeps his promises. Let's look at verses 54 and 55. It says, he has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So we just saw the salvation is offered to all generations, which includes Abraham and his offspring. It's emphasizing the fulfillment of salvation history that Jesus brings. This is the salvation that we've been waiting upon. And now... He says, all that I said to Abraham, all that I said to his descendants is about to come to pass, okay? And indeed it did. Christ was born as promised. We're gonna, we're gonna look at that uh, next week. Christ lived a sinless life. He offered his righteousness to God in our place. Christ came and died a sinner's death. He suffered the wrath of God in our place on Calvary's cross. He satisfied God's anger and three days later, he, God raised him up from the dead providing that the father accepted the son's sacrifice on his behalf. That is good news. That is good news of Jesus coming. And now God calls men and women everywhere, all generations and all places for all of time to repent of their sins and to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you haven't done that, today is the day of salvation. If you're listening, if you're listening later on our podcast, Get in contact with us. Today is the day of salvation that God calls men and women everywhere, men, women, and children to repent and to trust him as their Lord and Savior. And we see that the Father's mercy comes through his son. And so like Mary, we should praise God. We should praise God for keeping his promises even before we see his promises fulfilled. You see, we live in that time where he's come He's lived his life, he's died, he's resurrected. And now we're kind of on this other end of life. When is he coming back? Right? And, 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 and I see people who, who drop out for one reason or the other. It's gotten too hard. I don't believe this any longer in this. You know, once again, I'm sensitive to some of that. But at the same time, you look at it and go, we're waiting for him to fulfill this promise of him coming back. You know, we, we saw this with Habakkuk. We saw this in 2 Peter, this idea of enduring and so we gotta, we gotta endure, we gotta trust God. But here's the reality. If you're in Christ, it all works out in the end, right? If we could just sit back in a recliner with my cup of coffee, it all, it'll be all right. But that doesn't mean you're not gonna have to go through hell in this life in the in-between. He doesn't promise you that this life's gonna be easy. It's not easy, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure we can go around and everyone can say, this is going on in my life and this is going on in my job and this is going on in my family and this is going, right? We can focus on those things, but we have to continue to trust God. That even in that, he's got a purpose in it. And even in that, we're called to go proclaim this message. And that's what we see these women of faith do. We see Mary do it. We see Elizabeth do it. We see Hannah do it. And they're proclaiming his mercy endures forever. And so may we look at them as an example, of a godly example, what it is to do. What is the posture of our hearts to be? You see, from the very beginning, God planned to carry out his place to save the world by the birth of a child by the birth of his son, Jesus. We see that back in Genesis 3.15. 
where it says the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And that the son of God entered the world, our world through the pregnancy and childbirth. This baby put joy in Mary's heart. It put a song on her lips. It's like she couldn't help but praise God as she realized that this is who this is, that this is the savior of the world. Remember, she's a young teenage girl from a low-income area. This, this announcement culturally should have ruined her life. She'd been kicked out of her family. You know, unwed pregnancy. She would lose, she had not much status anyway, but lose any status. I said this a couple weeks ago, but our culture, that's where today, our culture, I'm not trying to make a little statement, but our culture said, abort the baby, abort and get out, hide it under the rug. But that's not what we see. We see that she's put joy in her heart. She goes, you know what? I'm willing to endure whatever I have to endure because I recognize God as my savior. And so we too, church, should rejoice in Christ, not just in his conception, not just at this time of year, but in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his reign, and in his eventual return. And that he has given us a purpose and a role that we play now as we wait. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he said, so then to conclude, here is something for every child of God to do. You can all magnify the Lord and you may all rejoice in him. You cannot all preach. If you could, who would there to be to hear you? If all were preachers, where would be the hearers? But you can all praise God. If there is any brother or sister here who has only one talent, let not such a one say, I cannot do anything. You can magnify the Lord. To be happy in him is to praise God. The mere fact of our being happy in the Lord makes music in his ears. If you are one of his children, you can be happy in him. So get out all of those doleful dumps. Cast out the spirit of murmuring and complaint, which is so often possesses you. Pray the Lord to help you shake off your natural tendency to look on the dark side of everything and say, no, no, I must not do that. After all, I am not on the road to hell. I am on the road way to heaven. And this world is the waiting room to heaven. So my soul shall magnify the Lord and my spirit shall rejoice in God, my savior. Amen. And may the Lord make us happy, especially in this Christmas season. I know that it's tough. People have lost loved ones. People have gone through some hardships. And so that makes this kind of year hard. But may God continue, even in that, to sustain us and that we are joyful in him. And may in turn, we magnify him. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. That's how we're going to finish out today, is we're going to magnify the Lord. And so Ben's going to come back up. We're going to let that be the posture of our hearts. That along with Mary, we're going to sing all praise and honor and glory to God of heaven for what he has done. So church, let me pray for us. And then we are going to finish out by magnifying our Savior, Jesus. God, we thank you for a day that we can gather, Lord, as your church. Although not always easy, not even in our city. God, we show up to proclaim you to magnify you. God, may our hearts and our minds be so encompassed by you and by your mercy and your grace. God, may it overwhelm us to the degree that all we can do is magnify you. That we give you all praise and honor and glory. And so God, we, we turn this time over to you now. 
And that's how we want to finish out this week of Advent, by giving you all praise, honor, and glory that is due to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name and power we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.